good to be with this warm-hearted, generous-hearted group tonight. We've had lovely fellowship already, and let's pray for better and better fellowship as these few, very few days pass us. Will you turn with me, please, to Philippians 3? I'm afraid somebody has played a trick on me, no doubt unwittingly. Whoever assigned the subject assigned to me the subject, the faith of Christ. Now, I wrote on that 20 years ago, exactly, to the month that was written in the searchlight of October 1950. You didn't know it was that old, did you? In 1957. But uh, that doesn't matter. Somebody asked Robert Dick Wilson what he felt the three greatest laws of teaching were. And he said, repeat, repeat, and repeat. And that's true. But we have this little display up here for you tonight to help make this subject perhaps a little more precious to you and a little more vivid and real to you than it's been before. Let's turn, please, to Philippians 3, and I'm going to read to you verses 7 to 9. Philippians 3, verses 7 to 9. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through there's the phrase, the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now, it's just amazing to me what proportion of commentators change this phrase, the faith of Christ, to make it mean faith in Christ, or the faith about Christ, the doctrine, the truths about Christ. And I don't think that's the idea at all. I think by uh, not reading it just as it is here, we have missed many, many rich blessings. For the truth about the faith of Christ is one of the most precious of all Paul's precious epistles. The phrase is found seven times. In the English, the article is not always there, but... Uh, you have to remember this, that the article, the definite article in the Greek is used very, very different from the way we use it in the English. Even someone who knows the Holland language knows that in at least one other language, the article is used very differently from the way we use it. We say, uh, do you believe in baptism? And that you'd understand immediately what I meant. We wouldn't say it that way in Holland. We'd say, Holotu in den dope. Do you believe in the baptism? And we'd mean the practice of baptism or the doctrine of baptism. So you'd use the article in the Holland, but you would not use it in the English to express the same thing. And th this is not an exact equivalent, but it's something like that in the Greek. The Greek article is used in a very different way from the way it's used in the English. At any rate, 
The of is very important there. It's the faith of Christ, not faith in Christ. But just as in modern evangelism, uh, man has been placed above God, so the fact or the truth of faith in Christ, the truth of the word of God about faith in Christ, is often given the precedence over the faith of Christ. And it ought to be the other way. Now let me explain what I mean, or what the word means by the phrase, the faith of Christ. What's the difference between the faith of Christ and faith in Christ? Well, faith is used in the word of God both objectively and subjectively. Faith objectively, you see it here? Faith objectively moves toward an object. I believe in him. I believe what he says or what he has done. That's faith objectively. But as someone has said, if I have faith in you, you had better keep faith with me. If I trust in you, you had better be trustworthy. And the word faith is also used in that way in the scriptures. Uh, we're going to go into some passages in just a moment, but those are the two aspects of faith as we find them in the Word of God. Objective faith, I'm sorry, objective faith moves toward an object. Subjective faith is what one is. This is what one does. This is what one is. This uh, objective faith is the uh, exercise of faith in another, or what he has said, or what he has done. But faith subjectively is a character is what a person is, he is trustworthy. Now let's look at some scriptures to show this. Let's turn first, please, to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 and uh, verses 3 and 5. For what saith the scripture? Abraham, what did he do? Believe God. There's Abraham, there's me, you see. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. Now then look at verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth, nothing in this. Somebody said to me before the service, why isn't there anything in me? I said, well, what is there in me? <laughs> nothing in us, it's all in him, you see. So he, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his his believing, his faith here, that's objective faith, is counted for righteousness. All right, that's objective faith. Now let's look at 2 Thessalonians, please, chapter 3 and uh, verse 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2. I'll read verse 1 also. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from, not unbelievers, from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. This doesn't mean they don't, all men don't believe. It means you can't trust everybody. Pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. This is what people are, you see. Pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith, you see. All men 
cannot be trusted. Pray that we might be delivered from them. Turn to, back to Romans again, if you will, and uh, the third chapter, Romans chapter 3, and uh, uh, the first part of the verse. For what if some, now look, some did not believe. That's objective faith. What if some didn't believe? Shall, this, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? There is what he is, you see. That doesn't mean that he has to believe in anybody. God doesn't have to believe in me or believe in anybody. This is what God is. This is faith subjectively. What if some did not believe? Shall that make the faithfulness of God, his fidelity, his worthiness to be believed? Shall it make his faith without effect, the faith of God without effect? Uh, just one more, please. Second Timothy. Second Timothy, chapter 2, and verse 13. Here you have the objective faith in the beginning, only it's in the negative. If we believe not, if we don't do this, we don't believe in him, if we believe not, yet he abideth believable. Get it? He abideth faithful. Now that word faithful uh, reminds us that in the adjective it's just the same. For example, look at Galatians a moment, chapter 3. And then I'll be through with the examples of objective and subjective faith. Look at Galatians 3, verses 6 and 9. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Verse 9, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. What do you mean faithful that he was so, uh, that he carried out his obligations so well. No, no. Look, look at it again. Abraham believed God. And those that be of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. With faith full. He was full of faith. He always believed God, it seems, so implicitly. That's one thing about Abraham. That's why he's called the father of believers. He was full of faith. He just implicitly believed God. <coughs> so, Abraham believed God, and therefore he's called the father of the faithful, full of faith. Those that be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. But you don't need to turn to Romans, or Hebrews, rather, 10 in the 23rd verse. There it says God is faithful. Now what does it mean? Ah, now it's not what God does. Now it's what God is, you see. This is what God is. He is to be depended upon fully, to be depended and counted upon. Now then, let's go to the question of the faith uh, of Christ. The third of Galatians, please. Here we start the uh, seven occurrences of the word or of the, of the term. Now, let me ask you this. Which is the more important here? This or this? Number one or number two? Number two. What good if I believe in him if he's not worthy of believing in? You can't trust him. Why trust him if he can't be trusted? And I believe, beloved, with all my heart that if more 
were said by us all about the faith of Christ, more people would exercise faith in Christ. Get my drift? More people would exercise faith in Christ if we emphasize more fully the faith of Christ. He paid the whole debt of sin. Every farthing was paid. He's up there in heaven interceding for us. He's well able to save, not only to save from, but to save under the uttermost all. And you can trust in him, you see. And we ought to pay more attention to what the uh, epistles of Paul say about the faith of Christ. Now then, Galatians 3, please, and verse 22. Galatians 3, 22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. Now this is not the same as Romans 11.32. 11.32 says God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. That was a dispensational thing. A dispensational act. But this is not so. Long before that the scripture hath concluded all under sin. Why? That the promise by faith of or the faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them to believe. Now here you can see he's speaking about subjective faith about what God is. That the promise, now I'm not going to go into what that promise is now, that'd be another whole sermon. But that the promise by the faith of Christ might be given to them to believe. They're mentioned separately, you see. By the faith of Christ might be even given to them to believe. Here's your faith. Here's his faith. But the God has concluded, or the Scripture has concluded, all under sin, so that we might learn that it cannot be of us. It can only be of him. That's where all the riches and everything that we need lies. He's the fount of every blessing, the source of all supply. And God, has, the Scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by the faith of Christ might be given to, there's your faith, them to believe. Get it? His faith, your faith. Look please at the uh, 21st and 22nd verses of the same chapter. I beg your pardon, I'm in Romans 3 now. Romans and Galatians are not the same book, just so you'll know. Romans 3, verses 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by, that is, born witness to by, the law and the prophets. They have to look on and they say, this is righteousness. It is righteous indeed of God to do what he's done for the sinner. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith or the faith of Jesus Christ, unto all, and, now look, upon all them that believe. There's your faith. Get it? The righteousness of God. Now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. The righteousness of God which is by the faith of Jesus Christ. His riches, his fidelity, you can trust him. You can count on him not only because he's honest and right and will do what he says and faithful, but you can trust him because there are all the resources you need for salvation. He at Calvary's cross paid a price that coffers and coffers that fill the world with gold could never, never pay. But they're all here. 
You see, it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and you can trust in him. Now then, the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, manifested. The righteousness of God uh, by the faith, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, now unto all, and upon all them that believe. Now there's your faith. There's the objective faith. Get it? You see the difference there? One is what a person is, another what he does. The faith of Christ, that's what he is. He's trustworthy. He's worthy to be believed. He will keep faith with you if you have faith in him. All right, let's go please to uh, Philippians now again and the third chapter. Philippians chapter 3. This is the verse that I quoted to begin with. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. I'll read again from verse 7, please. It's so beautiful and important. But what things were gained to me, Paul says, those I counted loss for Christ. Now, he doesn't mean that he counted them loss in sacrifice for Christ. He counted them loss when he weighed them against Christ. You see, I give all of this for him. I give all of this and more for him. Get it? What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Listen. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, or my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Here is his sacrifice for Christ. And do count them but dung or refuse that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. Now here you got the two again. That which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Get it? There's the subjective. There's what he is, the faith of Christ. Paul says, I'd rather lose everything than lose him. I've seen the excellency of knowing him because here's where my riches, here's where my security, here's where my blessing lie. So he says this is, uh, wait a minute, the third chapter here in the ninth verse. He says, the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Here's your faith. Our faith really isn't that big, is it? People make a lot of faith sometimes. Sometimes they make a lot of faith and they don't even know what they're believing in. The doctor says, you know, it was your faith that brought you through. Faith in what? He didn't mean faith in God. He just meant faith, you know, in some kind of abstract way. Ah, no, faith isn't worth a dime, isn't worth anything, unless you have the right person or the right thing to place your faith in. And where salvation is concerned and righteousness is concerned, of course, it must be in Christ. Now then, Galatians 2, please. Here are two wonderful passages along this line. Galatians 2, and uh, verses 15 and 16. Here's Paul rebuking Peter and saying, We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified 
by the works of the law, but by what? The faith of Jesus Christ. You could pile up your works as many of our dear Roman Catholic people try to do, and they call that amassing grace, you know. That's not grace. Grace is the opposite of works. But they do and do and do and do. And I took a young lad one time to a, a service with me, a real Catholic friend. I took him to a service with me, and oh, he enjoyed that so. He says, oh, this was really so refreshing, and there was something about it that just seemed so satisfying. But he went home, and his mother said, do you know how many Hail Marys I've said for you? Do you know how many Our Fathers have s I've said for you? Don't you ever go to that church again. So I said, I wonder if she'd mind if I went to church with you. And uh, he said, well, I'm sure she wouldn't. I said, could you fix it sometime when she's along too, and we'll go together? Certainly, he said. And uh, the four of us, the father and mother and he and I, went to the Roman Catholic Church that night. And they prayed, Our Father, turn in heaven, hallowed be the name of the kingdom, come, the will be done, there is in heaven, you know, and so on. You've been to many a Roman Catholic Church, that's how it goes. And they went through those prayers so fast. And after it was over, I said to my friend and his father and mother, we walked along, I said, uh, they said, what'd you think of it? I said, well, I didn't quite get, what was that prayer they were praying so fast? And uh, he said, well, that's the Our Father. And, uh, oh, I said, that's Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy king. Yes, that's the one. I said, could I ask you a question? Is God really your father? Do you know God really as your father? And the young fellow was the first to speak up. He said, I sure don't. <laughs> he cursed and swore and, you know, and just a, a, a godless man. But here it says, not, ha not having, let's see, here we are, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Christ. There's plenty to pay for all your sins. There's plenty to take care of the whole thing so that you can now be pronounced righteous before the bar of God. But by the faith of Christ, Knowing this, he says, even we have believed in Jesus Christ. There's your objective faith. There it goes toward an object. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Christ, we have believed in Christ. Oh, I wonder if everybody's saved here tonight. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could see all there is here for you in him? Look under here how much there is there to appeal to God and to, to uh, satisfy him for your sins and all the wrongs you've done, nothing here. But there's everything here. He paid the debt and died in shame and disgrace like a criminal for sins he never committed for your sins and my sins. Even we, knowing this, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by our faith in Christ. Oh, somebody says, oh, I, I tried, I believed so hard. You know, you ever hear people talk about believing hard, you know? No, this is not faith in Christ. It's the faith of Christ. That we might be just, we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. 
for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Not by the works of any law, by the way, not even your own law. Doesn't have to be the Mosaic law. You can't do anything to please him. All this is all crammed full with all the riches of grace and justice and forgiveness and payment for sin and everything that you need to be saved. Let's go down, please, to the uh, the uh, first. Go to Ephesians. I'm sorry, we're going to go to the 20th first, but later. Ephesians 3 first, please. Ephesians 3 and the 12th verse. In whom we have boldness and access and with confidence by the faith of him. It doesn't say by earnest, fervent faith, our faith, we can enter into his presence. If we really get down on our knees and believe we're entering into his presence. No, he says what? There's nothing. You don't have to believe so hard to get into my presence. <laughs> if your mind, walk right in. Walk right in. Look please at Hebrews. There's a beautiful verse in Hebrews uh, to this effect. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. And I don't understand why the King James translators put by, the word by, in front of verse 20. It's not in Textus Receptus, their own text. But let's read here, verses 19 and 20. Having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Get it? Wasn't that we made up our minds, I'm, I'm going to get the courage and I'm going to go in. I'm going to go into his prayer. No, 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 no. We have, we're free, we're bold to enter into his presence by the blood of Jesus. Now the next verse in our English says, by a new and living way, as though there are two factors involved. No, the blood of Jesus is the new and living way. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way. There you go back to the Old Testament tabernacle, there's the old dead way. <laughs> There's the brazen altar and the beast being offered day after day continually. And there's the brazen laver and the golden candlestick and the table of showbread and the, and the golden uh, altar and the, the veil and the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and so on. That's the old dead way. There was nothing in that brazen altar to save us. There was nothing in that table of showbread that would satisfy any but, the, any but the stomach. There was nothing in that light of a candlestick that would do anything more than light that little tabernacle. These were only the shadows. Here's the reality, the new and living way. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. Isn't that beautiful? That new and living way was consecrated for our use. God says, come, come. There's nothing to bar us. There's nothing to stop you from coming in. The blood has been shed. The price has been paid. I don't know whether you've ever heard of A.C. Dixon's death, but it's a very lovely story. Uh, when he was dying, his son came to his side. 
and uh, said, Dad, I'll be here at a, almost a moment's call. I'll be right near. If you want me at any time, just let me know, and I'll be here. And the, he, his father said, Thank you, son. And uh, uh, shortly after, one evening, uh, Dr. Nixon called for his son. Can you come? Come right away. And the son came, and he said, Son, I've got something to tell you. He said, I know I'm going soon. And you know, I've never believed in dreams. But I do know that somehow they are sometimes connected with what we think and what we know, sometimes with what we think we know. But I just had a most wonderful dream. And the son said, what was it, Dad? He said, I dreamt that I saw the Lord in heaven. And he was paging through books. And he said, all right, you can come up now. And I said, oh, Lord, no, I'm not fit. I'm not fit for thy presence. I'm not fit for heaven. But Dr. Nixon said, he said, he turned around, he, he paged through those books again. He said, no, no, you can come. There's nothing against you here. And that happened about three times. And each time the voice from heaven said, you can come. There's nothing against you here. And that's exactly the basis on which we can enter into the presence of God. He holds nothing against us. The blood has been shed. How different. How different when you find this out from the Apostle Paul. Remember when the veil was first rent in the temple? Dear Dr. Schofield, bless his heart, he's in heaven. I'm sure he knows better now. And there's some things I'm sure he knew better than I know now. But I'm sure he knows better than this now. He writes above the the story of the rending of the veil, that this was the beginning of entrance into the presence of God through the blood of Christ. Oh, no, my friend. What happened when that veil was rent in the temple? What did the priests see who were or might have been working there? What could they see? The veil was rent. No Shekinah glory. God was not there. It was just an empty shell with a piece of furniture in there. That's all it was. And that's how Israel and how Jerusalem, how the nation were left. It is not until you come to the Apostle Paul that you find a new significance of the rending of the veil. It's right here. There it is in verses, uh, verses, uh, verse 19 of uh, Hebrews 10. He's given us a new and living way by the shed blood of Christ we've entered in. The rest of this message is on side two. Please turn your tape over at this point. Look at Colossians, please, before we leave this talk. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now the reason I uh, go to this passage is because some reading Ephesians 3:19 have said, but we're already in heaven. Some people don't see the, the lines that are drawn between the believer's standing and the believer's state. They're very clear. They run parallel, but they're very clearly separated. And they say, well, we're already in heaven. Our position is in the heavenly. What do we got 
to talk about coming into the presence of God. Some would say, we don't have a throne of grace. We don't have a, you see, oh, I beg your pardon. The same epistle that speaks about our blessing and our positions in the heavenlies in Christ, that same epistle is the one that says we have access into his presence by the faith of him. Surely we ought to occupy our position all the time. Surely we ought to enjoy our position in the heavenlies at God's right hand. But now don't raise your hand. I would like you to ask yourself, how much of the time this past week have I been experiencing heaven and its blessings, or all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ? How much of this week have I really occupied uh, experientially my position in heaven? That's why he has to graciously give us access into his presence. We have to kneel down again and again and say, Oh Lord, and feel ourselves, as it were, in the presence of God again. Well, now, here in Colossians 3, that word if. I, I'm speaking to a good number of pastors here, and I'm older than most of you, so I can, I can exhort you this time. But don't make that word if sense. I've heard it said so often, if means since there, because we are risen with Christ, so since ye be risen with Christ, seek those, no, no, it's not, it's if, it's if, you know what? If is, if doesn't necessarily imply doubt. If may be used as a challenge, and that's the way he used it here. A mother may say to her son, and I've used this illustration before, well, this time remember it then. <laughs> uh, I've used this illustration before. A mother may say to her son, Son, if you're 21, act it. Well, she knows he's 21. No question about that. But he's not acting it. And that's exactly it here. God, no, of course we're raised with Christ. Ephesians 2 says so. Raised together with him and made to sit with him in heavenly places. Sure, we're with him. But, all right, now, if that's so, and it is, you see, then seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are, hid, ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Well, just one more little verse on that, and you know it so well. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have isn't that wonderful? Access. Access to me is one of the most precious truths of the Pauline epistle. Uh, I'm sure Mrs. Carter doesn't begin to have the access into her husband's presence that you and I have into the presence of God. She has to be careful when she goes in. She can't just barge in at any time and say, uh, say, Jimmy, you know, oh no. Only at certain times can she enter his presence. Sometimes she positively cannot enter his presence. But we can enter into God's presence anytime. It's, it's up to you. God says it's according to your need. How does that go? Uh, 4.17 of Hebrews. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help um, uh, in time of need. That's when when you need it. That's when. That's a beautiful thing. And did you notice how the mercy seat is elevated? No more a mercy seat. Now it's a throne of grace, you see. And instead of just mercy, 
It's mercy and grace to help. Oh, how wonderful. There we are, beloved. Let's take advantage of that access more and more. I had a wonderful father, and he was a great inspiration to me in this way. I never knew Dad to pray for long hours. He did a great, great work for the Lord. I never knew him to be on his knees for big, long periods of time. But he prayed about everything. <laughs> he did what the Bible says we should do about prayer. He was instantly in prayer right now. Boom, right now. There was a need. He was praying. He was a truly great man and a praying man. And I think that's the scriptural way to pray. There may be times when we should and will want to be on our knees long. I was so touched to hear two women tell another woman, oh, we had such a nice time yesterday, my sister and I, her sister had come to visit her, that we spent an hour and a half in prayer and we had the most precious time. That's wonderful, isn't it? Two women just bowing down and just enjoying the throne of grace and presence, uh, the, the joy of the presence of God. Well, that's the truth of access, and it's by the faith of him. It's not by faith in him, well, it is, but only because of his faith. Only because he's taken away everything that was in the way. He paid the price. He shed his blood. He opened the door. He consecrated the way and says, come on, come on in. And that's the kind of a Savior we can have faith in and enter into his presence. One more passage, the seventh one, Galatians 2, please. Galatians chapter 2. And now verse 20. Galatians verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 20. This has to do now with our Christian life and our Christian experience beyond prayer. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is that beautiful? The life that I live, how many Christians see just as they have placed man above God in so many other ways, they've done it in this way too. They place faith in Christ above the faith of Christ. And uh, they say, I try more and more to exercise faith. I try to believe more and believe more simply. Listen, you don't have to go to all that trouble of uh, different ways to try to believe better and believe more deeply and believe more sincerely and believe more fervently and believe more uh, constantly. If you're thrilled about this, you'll naturally believe. Isn't that true? You'll naturally believe. You see all the riches of his grace and of his faithfulness and of his power. How can you help but believe, you see? Well, there you have it. Uh, the 20th verse, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live, uh, live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a way to close this message. What a way to close. What a verse to close with. I live by the faith the fidelity, the veracity, the trustworthiness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, isn't it wonderful? It's this wonderful Savior who is now in the presence of God. Romans or Hebrews 9 says in the 23rd verse, he appears in the presence of God. What are those next two words? 
now to appear in the presence of God? For us. Oh, you all knew it. For us. How's it going, Hebrews 7.25? Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession. Wouldn't it be wonderful to go through your concordance tonight and look up those words for us? (laughs) Oh, it's amazing what he's done for us. There's the source. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Just look at him. Forget yourself. What is there here anyway? You see anything under that me there? Nothing. Nothing at all. Here is everything. And just get your eyes on him. If you're not saved, oh, tonight I beg of you, I plead with you. Simply but very sincerely, just say, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe it. I believe that thou didst die for me. I trust thee as my Savior. And if you are saved, and perhaps have been living a very, very defeated life, many people, you feel so sorry for them, Christians, but you'd almost think they weren't. They know they are. They're saved. But, oh, they're so defeated all the time. You don't need to be. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Amen.